Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, producer, and sports writer for the LSJ. I'm sorry to inform everyone that we did not go four months between podcasts this time. In fact, it had only been five days since the last one, but we did hit a record number of downloads for the past two years, so I want to give a sincere thank you to all the listeners, both old and new, to my virtual left a man who yearns for his MSU days when he'd wait, wait in the line 75 people deep to get into Harper's is Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Solari. Chris, how are you doing tonight for today? I did not do that. <laughs> um, firstly, because it was only Harper's for the back half of my college experience. And secondly, because... They won't quite, let him in. Quite well, yeah, that's quite <laughs> frankly it. Although there, there used to be uh, the Harper's downtown, which was the dance club underneath, which... Prior to that was sensations at Dooley's, but neither here nor there because uh, those things are long, long gone, and I am much, much older, and none of those things ever happen. Yeah, I was uh, driving around on campus a little bit this weekend, and, and I got to be honest, I just completely forgot how busy campus is when it's a full it's a full load of students. Uh, this past weekend was just completely insane. I mean, you had the parents there as well, which made it you know you know even more packed. But uh, yeah, it was quite the weekend in East Lansing. On the way over to Mel Tucker's press conference, I nearly ran over 34 students because I'm not used to looking out for students. And right. Yeah. They need to understand that. And they also need to understand to follow the walks, the walk signs instead of just walking around whenever they want, even though I know that is a futile thing to be mad at on my part because just students, pedestrians, walking, just rule everything else. So let's yell at, let's Angry, yell at angry man shouts at cloud. Old, yeah, man right, yells yeah. at, old man yells at cloud. All right, to the right of my screen. MSU's next athletic director who will demand all Big Ten basketball teams play 10 true road games in the non-conference schedule. It's Lansing State Journal columnist Graham Couch. Graham, how's it going over there? It would be a disaster if I was in charge of college sports. <laughs> the things I would demand would be so petty and weird that uh, <laughs> some of them would be good, but uh, it would otherwise be a disaster. Things are good. Things are good. Happy there's going to be a game. The funniest moment today at Mel Tucker's press conference was they, they had Tucker and then they had two sets of two players come up at the, at the podium stage thing, Majig. And when the two offensive players, Jalen Naylor came, uh, came up there with Kenneth Walker and they asked questions, like <laughs> nobody had one. And for a minute, and it was like, the, the storyline hasn't changed in seven months. Uh, you've been talking to these guys for a month. And it was just one of those moments where I thought this is as symbolic as anything that they need a football game for the storyline to slightly shift just a little bit because there's not a whole lot else to, to hit. Well, and it's it's interesting because it's like that to me was like, well, we're back to kind of normal because once you get through camp it, in most years, first of all, it's not in a press conference setting like that typically. But secondly, you always have – we've talked to these guys for a month and 
you know, how much has really changed in the four days or eight, six days since we last talked to them. So you kind of got to that point where it was like, well, yeah, we, we've asked you a lot of the same questions that we've been asking since spring practice, since the start of fall camp, since throughout preseason camp. And uh, I, I can't ask you the same things 5,000 different times, 4,000 different ways. So that's kind of it kind of felt good in some ways to me to, to kind of get to that point. Yeah, no, it, and it, you know, the thing is, I can't tell if I'm excited about game week because I just love college football and I, I'm always excited when college football gets here. Or if I started to think today, maybe I just get excited about game week because I'm so sick of the August part of the, yeah. the time it gets here that you, you've been beaten down in the, into being excited about game week. I, I'm hoping it's the former. Well, if uh, the past weekend's traffic is any indication, it should be. Uh, a, pr- a pretty busy Friday night, even though I know this is an away game. But I, I expect kind of campus to, to be bumping here in preparations for, for Friday night's game versus Northwestern. Well, uh, in the past day, five days since we've recorded, we've had uh, some some news break out. And, I, and we won't spend all that much time talking about, about it. But I do kind of want to start with the athletic director search where uh, Chris, you and uh, David Jesse from the Freep reported yesterday, I believe, that Alan Howler, yesterday being Monday, that uh, Alan Howler was going to be Michigan State's new athletic director. Yeah, and just as you were saying that, if you heard my email ding, it was an email from MSU uh, updating us that one p or noon on Wednesday, September first, uh, will be a special board of trustees meeting, and presumably it's going to to be to announce Alan Haller as athletic director, as there's only one personnel action item on the menu on the on the schedule. Almost it's called it the menu. Editorial move, you know. Yeah, new head janitor uh, in the admin building. <laughs> but uh, we will also hear from uh, MSU President Samuel Stanley and uh, Trustees Chair Diane Byram after that. Um, so I'm very interested to see how that goes. And I'm sure that we're going to learn the, that Alan Haller got this. So, um, you know, and it was a it was a wild process without question. Um, and it's, you know, it, it started with Bill Beekman, you know, the day that spring practice started announcing his resignation and then dead silence for almost two weeks from the university, from anywhere. And then, then there, there was some concern that either things were going too slow, too fast, or they weren't getting the right candidates because, uh, that that's where the, the, concept was floated from some of the board members to uh, Tom Izzo, according to our sources, to take over in an interim capacity so they could find someone if that was the case. And a lot throughout a lot of permutations, heard some names mentioned um, as being potential candidates. But uh, when it all when the dust settled, the, the three candidates were Alan Haller, uh, Auburn AD Alan Green, and and uh, UCLA AD Martin Jarman, who didn't, who was the only one of those who did not interview because he, as I had heard from a source, had requested basically a contract offer sheet uh, to to interview. And and you know, there I believe he had somewhere around a one point four or one point five million dollar buyout, and MSU would have had to pay the taxes on that. And I'm not necessarily sure. Uh, three years ago. You might have been able to get Martin Jarman from Boston College, but one, he's at UCLA now. It would be a lateral move, too. Um, from all my sources, uh, it, it, in 
throughout college sports, not just MSU Jermaine. Uh, they've all said that Jarman is trying to angle for the Ohio State job whenever Gene Smith retires. And and three, a, the, from a perception standpoint, you can't go paying an athletic director $1.5 million plus a buyout after you just cut the swimming program because you were cash-strapped. That would have been a terrible thing. So, and, and from what I heard, Alan Haller absolutely won and dominated the interviews over the weekend and, and really swung a couple votes uh, his way. And that's really what, you know, I, I think Heather Like was also somebody they, they looked at. She didn't, she declined saying the timing wasn't right, but so she wasn't really in the mix, but she took herself out of that mix. Um, I, I had heard that she was spoken to, but was not on the final list of candidates. The three final candidates were the three that that I had mentioned there. That and, and there was a point when when Heather like uh, I had heard was a front runner for the yeah run. no so would I and, and but I you know I had heard, I I had heard that they had re- she had she had rebuffed them as much as is the other way around. But I do think it, I don't know that she would have been a better fit than than Alan Haller. And what I'm glad of for Haller is I, and I don't know if he'll be a great AD, but I, I think he deserved the interview. And that's something I kind of written before after after um, Kristen. Chris's initial story, um, just the because, you know, he's somebody who's been in that department a long time. He's been a part of two coaching searches. Uh, he's been in, he was instrumental. I mean, this the Mel Tucker hire will be his the same way. I believe it should be his the same way that Mark D'Antonio was Hollis's, even though yeah. Ron Mason was still the AD. And and, and he was on that committee as well. And he was on that committee too. And he knew what Mark and some of the interesting stuff. You know, I've heard about that. I mean, he, he you know he. Uh, some of his conversations in 2006 um, about Mark D'Antonio and, and understanding why D'Antonio fit then. It makes me believe he understands the university and 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 understands some of the other things that need to be done that are already in in the works. And and so he deserved an interview. And the fact that he you know crushed it in the process doesn't surprise me. Um, and all you know it, to me, what would have been unfair is if they made a move without giving him his his day, his chance to sell himself. And they did that, and apparently he did it well, and he's going to get the job. And um, if he had gone in there and he had been outperformed in that process, and then that would have been fine too because that's, you know, that's that's fair. But he, to me, the, the, they they did the search. Um, now, the timing wasn't ideal, and that was set up by the time he left. So it was probably a different search than it would have been if it was in May or early June in terms of, um, you know, reaching out to, you know, different ADs and their – their interest level. Uh, there might be more people who would have popped up had it been uh, a couple months earlier, but um, I, they did the search. So that gives Haller credibility too, which I think is really important. Um, you don't just come back to the guy. Um, and I, and I, I do think Stanley changed his approach at some point too, and, and, and included more people in this process, which made people feel better. And so you, you, you reach to a point of harmony and what this school needs in that department and really throughout the administration that it hasn't had, in years now that it had a, for a brief time is, is harmony and people moving in the same direction. Yeah. And Alan Haller being a human resources guy, it, you know, versus maybe some of the other things, it, it, that's something that, that it's in his background and in his nature. And I think, you know, just kind of look at it. And I think things that kind of haven't really been talked about when, when you look at the, the athletic director situation, I mean, Two of the people that were rumored um, as potential candidates with Heather Like and Dave Hickey both had experience at directional schools in Michigan, um, which, you know, 
in some ways would be good to know and understand Michigan State, but in some ways might not be good uh, simply with how they left those. Because remember, both Central and West and, and Eastern, where Heather Lake was and Central, where Dave Hickey was, cut sports. So after they left. So when, when you have that and you've already got a financial component on this on the Michigan State side that that's of concern. Um, you know, I, I would imagine that's a troublesome thing to to kind of see. Well, why did you have to cut sports? Why did when you left your schools like in the next year or two afterward did they have to cut sports? I mean, you're already cash strapped and you've already cut a sport. From a perception standpoint, I don't know how that would have played. So the the other thing that's sort of interesting about that, I mean, I do I do agree to some, but it is or sort of a perception from. I mean, Eastern Michigan is going to struggle financially regardless. Um, there are some other issues there that might be Central Michigan, too. I mean, Western and Central are just in huge financial trouble right now. And, and that has not a lot to do with how they've been run and just the realities of situations. And these are very different. So, so th- there is also an argument that if you, you've run a school with that sort of budget and, and had to deal with that sort of world, that this would be you, you'd be even more prepared for this. The, the one thing that's interesting about Martin Jamond, uh, um, and, and I think the. Ohio State thing makes sense that you you've heard because UCLA it may be big in brand but I've been to Miami Ohio football games on Tuesday nights with more fans than UCLA had you've got a basketball program that's a blue blood that can't sell out if Kentucky shows up like UCLA athletics is like the 15th thing in LA like you know I mean like I I'm not saying I wouldn't want to live in Southern California I'm not saying you're not paid well I'm not saying it's not a good job but if you truly love the campus environment, I think Michigan State would be a and 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 and, and big time college athletics would be more of a would, would have more of that feel. Now, can I camp out in Southern California for five years and then take <laughs> over at Ohio State happily for a lot of money? So I, I'm not saying it would have made sense for him. I, I don't know. It's a little little cheaper to camp out in Columbus than it is to camp out in in Westwood. And it, it's true. But the other thing is, even though I think and and. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of high regard for him out in, 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 in UCLA, and, and, and I think Haller had high regard for him, too, as maybe the only guy that he might have been able to even fit working under, you know, had he, had, had he gotten the job. I think saying you're not going to interview discludes you. To me, the interview wins the job. You, you, yep. You're not interviewed, and that would be a problem for me. If I was Ohio State's AD and that got back to me, what court, sort of arrogant snob do you think you are? Who are you not to have to interview? You got to interview. I don't care who you are. Uh, well, there's the a di- I think there's a difference that that's the argument of are you a are you a candidate for it or are you a finalist? And he was on the final candidate list, but yeah. that actively withdraws you if you if you say if you already know that that the school's not going to be able to meet your financial demands. That's I mean, you say you meet my financial demands, otherwise, what do we have here? I yeah. think that ultimately is where it comes down to with that, and I think. That's another thing, too, with Heather Like and, and some of my sources that had told me, um, again, outside of the Michigan State world, that that she's she's got her eyes on the Ohio State job as well as, as someone who also worked under Gene Smith during that time frame, a Michigan alum. So there were a couple of things that were that are there at play. And, you know, it, it, I, one of my one of my sources out west. So he has no ties to Michigan State. When, when this first went down, we started talking about candidates. And, you know, he didn't mention Heather Like's name. And I said, what about Heather Like? And he said, well, what's she done at Pitt? And there's, you know, you're hamstrung at Pitt. And, you know, that's that's the sometimes the fifth sport in Pittsburgh behind yeah. the, the Pirates, Steelers, 
the Penguins, Penguins the, the, and then also Duquesne. Penn State. And Duquesne basketball, damn it. Duquesne basketball, uh, Robert Morris, and uh, sometimes Carlo College. But, uh, you know, that's – high school sports actually are probably sometimes ahead of Pitt, you know, unless they have local kids. But, you know, I mean, they haven't made the basketball tournament uh, since she's been AD, and they were a perennial first one and done. I mean, it, they've had some issues with the Kevin Stallings hire there as well. But here's the thing. We're talking about all these things with the other candidates. The one thing that, that Alan Haller doesn't have is any of that. He was a finalist for the CMU job last year, uh, which I, I can't remember who it went to. I know it went to a woman. But he didn't get – he was in the final three candidates there. So, one, if you're Michigan State, you already know he's looking to make that move up. And two, from a timing standpoint, it was probably now or never if yes. you were going to go with him. Um, yeah, it's the same thing. If it's three years ago, maybe you get Martin Jarman from Boston College, right. but I don't think necessarily now you would have. That was not a legitimate candidate. But the Alan Green uh, name at Auburn, I thought was when it came up a couple of weeks ago, I thought it was fairly interesting that a Power Five athletic director is looking to move. But then I got into it a little bit, and there was some issues that people at Auburn were ha had had with how he brought in Brian Harson as head coach at football. So, and people are always going to have issues wherever you are. And one of the things, I mean, it, it, and, and I think that's, you know, nobody's record is going to be, not everybody's going to get to, you know, get along with everybody. Nobody's going to have a perfect record everywhere. Sports are going to fail at some schools and it's not going to be always the AD's fault. For example, you know, you go to Nebraska right now and what's going on with Scott Frost. That was still the right hire at the time. Like that was a guy who was 13 and 0, at UCF, who is an alum, you know, that's not the wrong hire as a football coach. It's not working out. And now you need the accountability side of that. And you need to probably make a move if, if things don't change quickly. But what I mean is you can have, you can make the right move or the move that makes sense at the time. And it, it doesn't always, doesn't always play out uh, as you hope. I, I should note quickly before we move on that uh, Haller is a Lansing native and like Graham, a Sexton high school graduate. Congrats to the Absolutely. big reds there. Absolutely. No, yeah, yeah no, a guy who's, you know, homegrown, and um, and and there's going to be a loyalty to the university. To I mean, he, he's not. This is a, you know, if you want a destination gig guy, this is a destination gig. And if it works out, you probably got an AD for a decade. Now that's up to Alan Haller to to run a department well and have things go well, and 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 to be a guy who can be there for a decade, which the school could use. I mean, I, I think people who care about Michigan State should be rooting for that uh, to happen. There will be a number of interesting things that happen in this in this period of time. I mean, right now, one of the good things about the timing of the job and is that Mel Tucker's in year two of a contract, right? And, and there's outside of some unforeseen scandal, there's nothing wins and losses wise. that's going to force sort of accountability from an athletic director in, in, in the near term there. Tom Izzo is Tom Izzo. And, you know, he, he's proven over time, but at some point, again, you're going to have conversations and I, Ideally, if the if the Alan Haller um, tenure is working out, you're going to have conversations that deal with the future of Mel Tucker, whether that's extending him and trying to keep him if things have gone well, or what you have to do there otherwise, and and the next replacement for Tom Izzo, and and that will be interesting because Izzo, I'm sure, will want his hand in that, and 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 as an AD, you may feel comfortable to a certain degree with that, but so it, it's it's going to take somebody who's who's um, who's good at this, frankly. And there are a lot of other things on campus that need to be addressed. And then you've got to deal with the, the bigger picture in, in, in sports uh, with, you know, there's everything going on in college sports. I, it, it's a critical hire, critical time. And, and um, 
you know, but I think. Well, yeah, I mean, he's been involved with the name, image, and likeness stuff yep. that Michigan State's been ahead of, but also the facilities. I mean, that's, you know, he and, and Mark D'Antonio a couple years ago went down to Clemson to, to look at their facilities. Remember the grassroots examination? Well, we saw in December what some what that vision is and what the blueprints are, and guess who was it, it, in charge of that in presenting it? Alan Haller. I mean, that's so he's working not only on the facilities, but with donors to get those things going. And then you, can you afford I think that a long term question is, could you have afforded to have a break in that? Um, yeah. So from a timing standpoint, that also was as critical as when in the school year it was. Yeah. And, and he also has some, I think, good philosophies on, on non-revs and, and, and student athletes, the importance of them and things he'd like to do to change, change, um, you know, how sort of the dignity of some of those, um, you know, the, the student, how the student athlete themselves is no less important in, in, in other sports. And, and, and so I think he's a, he sees the big picture um, and, uh, you know, executing it will be, I mean, these are hard, big jobs and they're, they're easy to do when everything's rolling. I mean, they're not easy. I wouldn't say they're easy, but there, there are degrees in which they're difficult. And, and, uh, and, you know, one of the things that I think is most important is, being comfortable with hiring somebody who you feel has it in them to deal with and take advantage of opportunities, challenges that you can't even picture right now. You want to, this is also a job where picking the person is really important because stuff happens. And, and, and um, so we'll see anyway. I, yeah, I, I think it's a, uh, you know, I think if, if, they let the interview do the work. I'm always in favor of that. You let the interview do the work and everything that Chris and I have heard is he killed it in the interview, right? So yep. if that's what happened, then then that's that, that's that's good work by them. All right. Well, let's move on to on-the-field activities with uh, Michigan State. First game against Northwestern on Friday, which is three days from now. It feels crazy. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're all not all that thrilled about the 9.15 p.m. kickoff start for that. But uh, I'm sure the kids in Chicago or Evanston will like it quite a bit. But let's uh, let's start with the quarterback situation. You know, There wasn't a quarterback, a starting quarterback named when we recorded five days ago, and it is still the same today. Chris, when you did your depth chart uh, story that went up over the weekend, you had Anthony Russo listed as the starter at this point. Do you, do you still feel the same about that now, or are you wavering a little bit on that? I do not. I do not feel the same about that. And I'm in some ways surprised there was a, there was logic that went into that. Obviously you bring in a grad transfer, uh, as a quarterback and, you know, you would imagine that, yeah, if, if it's, if it's close or if it's tight race that you would go with, the graduate transfer that you brought in who has starting experience, but I've been hearing whispers um, from sources, not message boards, although I've heard it leaked out a little bit, but I had heard from a source that close to, but not close enough to the situation that it very well could be Russo or excuse me, that it could be Thorne, um, which to me is, is fascinating because one is saying, even with, even with the, uh, the 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 transfers that you brought in it's saying you're still coming in and having to earn it um if they go that route now one thing mel tucker's did say today is that you know they're still in discussions but then he also answered you graham and said when you asked him if the players knew and he's like maybe so you know there's there's no secrets. If 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 I'm hearing it, if you're hearing it, I'm guaranteeing there there's a few little birdies in 
in the Windy City on the North Shore who've probably heard it as well. Yeah, no, and and I, you know, I've always been one of the few, not one of the few. I think there was pretty split who leaned the tea leaves towards Thorn, but that wasn't that was just my tea leaves guess, and uh, you know, that was based on what we saw at practice and who was in the first teams, and um, I, I do think it it does, as Chris alluded to, speak well to the idea that you know it. There's no ego. This is the guy they brought in, but and this is a D'Antonio holdover, and yet this is the guy. And I and I've said this before about quarterbacks, especially. And I think this is it's pretty much every position. But quarterback, there's no hiding. The coaches don't get to pick the quarterback ultimately, and they do in the in the fall camp. But the the best player picks themselves, and especially that plays out over a, a season usually too. If two guys battle in the September, that that, that decision becomes. Fairly obvious. The last time I saw a coach try to pick the quarterback and fail miserably was D'Antonio, 2013, and and September, and and that wasn't that didn't work out. I don't know. 20, 2016 was pretty rough as well. That's true. Goodness, I blanked out that. Um, but yeah. uh, anyway, yeah, I know. Tried to. My gut had, had been Thorn. You know, I I my sense is it's Thorn. Um, yeah, and it was that. mine too. It was mine up until last week when you started yeah. hearing how close it was still, and yeah. then. Nothing, and, and I do get the, so the logic is on two fronts. The logic that Chris brought up, I think this is important. Like the idea that because this is what they tried to do with Maxwell years ago, right? You have the the veteran um, start, and and ideally have the year, and then younger guys compete the next year. Um, and if you were to start, and, and the other thing is, if you're going to have to pull a guy, say things go wrong, better to pull the veteran is going to be done. You, you know, you you have to pull and make a change, or at any point you make a change with the younger guy, that may be it. For, for a guy like Thorne, he may decide I'm not going to not going to stay here. There are other guys they don't. Um, so I I um I, I saw that logic. I also think that there's some things I've seen from Thorne that make me believe he might just be the better quarterback. And the I'm not talking State about game, that first half of the Penn State game alone. Yeah, right. No, I mean that was a that was a a brilliant like quarter and a half of football. But that's all that it was, though, right? I mean, that's the, that's that's the trouble with that. I really wish, and it would have been interesting to see what if they had that Maryland game doesn't get canceled, and he has to follow that up the next week, and they play that game, if that continues, right? And and if they're able to build on that, and and how that would have changed perception, and because you're right, it was just this brief flash of a moment, and so um, yeah, well, I, there was there was a few things that like I don't I, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably know that I don't you know. know. I, well, you avoid following me. That's the whole thing. Um, I mean, you know, I don't put much stock into hype videos because uh, it doesn't really show you a lot. But there are always hidden gems and hidden nuggets in there. One, there were quite a few interceptions that we've seen uh, in 11 on 11 or 7 on 7s in those that they've shown the defensive players. So we didn't know who was throwing a ball, but you could tell if it was a one or a two receiver in there. So you ask yourself, well, who's the quarterback that's throwing the interceptions? And the other sign uh, that kind of goes back to something I've said um, last week and then I've been saying quite a bit, quite extensively throughout camp, um, there was a play where Atavian Brown uh, in a couple times we've seen it, the same play in the highlight video where he got – against the number one offense, got a touch sack, pretty much unfettered uh, against Thorne or against Russo, who was kind of statuesque uh, on the tag. And it made me wonder, is there something with the offensive line? Is there breakdowns there 
that require going with the more mobile quarterback. And that's something I've said. That's something I've said all along. Sometimes it might even be the if the battle's that close, it could be how much the guys in front of you make that a, a reality. Do you do you have a guy that has a clean pocket that can throw downfield, or do you have a guy that needs to be able to get out and create? Uh, particularly if if the line's breaking down, as we've seen multiple times over the years with this with a lot of this group, because these are the same guys that are back from last year, the year before, the year before, other than Jared Horst. Well, and to your point, like, you know, that's one more skill set that Thorne presents and ability right. to do that. And so you have to be that much better as a quarterback, as a passer, to me, if you're if you're uh, Anthony Russo, because that's not really your your strength. Uh, I, you know, I, um, you, we go back to that Monday open practice, and again, we we didn't see that much. You see a little bit, but there's a lot of ooing and aahing about the the two deep passes he threw, and they were good passes, but. The best pass of the day, still to me, was the Thorn, uh, um, Jalen, uh, sorry, Jaden Reed pass over the head of the defensive back, 25 yards on a dime downfield. The harder pass, the more, the more difficult pass to to execute. A lot of quarterbacks can throw a deep ball. Now those are nice passes on the money. And I'm not saying I think the best news for MSU right now. There have been years, and Chris and I have covered them, where they have not necessarily had a capable quarterback going into in the end of the first game, or you wondered if they had one. We have seen capable play in a game, impressively from uh, from uh, from Thorn, and so and Russo is a seasoned guy who, yeah, he's not a perfect quarterback. Has a tendency to turn it over. He's a gunslinger. But I think these are two guys that you can capably win with, and I think that's the good news. That the season doesn't even hinge on one of these guys staying healthy the whole time. That one of them goes down, you're going to have you know you've got another guy who can. Uh, can, can keep keep the thing going, probably. Well, how do you guys kind of want to look at the team right now? Do you want to go position by position or, you know, kind of general thoughts on the offense and defense or or what? How are you guys feeling? I don't know. We look at Northwestern. I mean, let's let's do that, right? Let's look at North the game and what we think. I don't know. what's we're, 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 What do you think, Chris? I mean, Northwestern, I think, you know, you know that they've got a former transfer in quarterback. They've announced their quarterback two weeks ago in Hunter Johnson, which surprised some people with, with yeah. Ryan Holinsky transferring in from South Carolina. So somewhat of a similar situation, although a guy who also had pre, I think, I think he transferred pre portal, um, yeah. had to sit out a year. So, um, but, but yeah, they, they lost their starting running back, uh, to injury and one of their offensive linemen. Uh, they, I think they lost, they, they lost, a significant amount of their production on both sides of the ball. So it's not going to be the same team that won the West division a year ago and lost to Michigan state and Spartan stadium, which is, which is crazy. You think about the teams that, that Northwestern played and they beat Auburn in their bowl game. They had two losses last year. One was to Ohio state and one was to Michigan state, which is somewhat baffling in some ways, but in a game, Michigan state was able to run the ball against a very, very good defense. And, you know, Patty Fisher's finally gone, um, but their secondary is pretty good. So that also could play into it because if you need more of a run-based option, which I think Rocky Lombardi in that game uh, used his legs considerably uh, to to kind of dissect Northwestern's defense and, and lead them to that 29-20 victory, uh, buoyed by a late touchdown uh, as time expired. But uh, you know, if you need a guy that's that that's going to be on the move to keep your run game going, that might be it as well. 
No, I, I, I agree. You know, the thing about Northwestern is whether they win the division or they go three and nine, they're always the same team. Somehow they just win the division or they three and nine. They're, they're, um, they're, they recruit- they're very Wisconsin basketball. Yes, know, they, it, they, they are. They are. And they recruit to the same level, uh, you know, and, and that's what, you know, if you're Michigan State, you want to get to a point where you recruit in a, a higher level. But one of the things I like about this matchup is for MSU, and I normally, you know, we kind of asked Mel Tucker about this today, about playing a conference game first. Um, and, you know, he gives the, the usual he doesn't care answer. I think it's unnatural in the season. I think. And, and and frankly, I think if you played the game, if the game was at home, I think it would be worse because there's something special about a home opener. And so that home opener can be anybody, especially about the opener period. The opener can be Youngstown State. You're going to be so fired up. The crowd's going to be fired up. It's going if to you, be Youngstown State. <laughs> yeah, but, if you, but yeah, what I mean, though, is if you were to open up yeah. with Northwestern at home and then play Youngstown State at home, it's a different vibe. So it helps that it's on the road that the, the home opener is still preserved in, 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 a, in a ways like that. But I, I, um, you know, I, I do think it's a good measuring stick. I think Northwestern is an ideal measuring stick because unlike some programs, they don't fluctuate a ton. And you, you'll have a, based on the type of players they recruit and have in there, you'll have a really good idea of who you are and where you are as a team after this. Um, uh, their secondary is, is good. I agree. They're not as explosive. I think in the past, I'm surprised the line is, I mean, it, it speaks to people having no idea what MSU is either because Michigan State, even the line has crept up, the Vegas line, I should say, toward a uh, closer. It's still three and a half for Northwestern, um, which I've, you know, I mean, they're, they're, given all Northwestern lost, that, that's a little little surprising. But then you've got people in our <laughs> own uh, company writing that Michigan State might be one of the five or ten worst programs in uh <laughs> In college football, that don't have any clue of, you know, a lot of people. I'll tell you what's crazy about that line is usually it's about three points for home field advantage. And Northwestern never has home field advantage at Ryan Field when Michigan State plays there. It's always a heavy Michigan State crowd. Vegas does not know how to do Eastern Michigan basketball or Northwestern football because it is. (laughs) these are places that just don't have the home field advantage, but they don't take into account that. There should be no line advantage in Northwestern for home field. It just shouldn't exist. It should be just a blind. It should be a neutral site. A neutral side line for sure. <laughs> I think this is a game where Michigan State's defense just has to feast, and if they can't feast on Hunter Johnson, I think the Spartans might be in some trouble this season. I mean, you look at Hunter's Hunter stats. You know, he I think he was named the starter in 2019, and then lost his job to Aiden Smith. And I think he split some time there. He only completed 46 percent of his passes in 2019. Did not throw a pass. Did not throw a pass at all last season. So. And he wasn't really that good at Clemson. Obviously, you know, Clemson gets five-star quarterbacks all over all over the place. But this was a five-star quarterback coming out of high school, and he has just yet to find his mark on college. At a certain point, you are what you are, and he is not impressed at any point yet. And that, and there's a part of me that really thinks Northwestern could be in trouble with him. Maybe he's found it. But sometimes people will say all the right things, and that's what they're hoping happens. But at a certain point, you are what you are as a player. And, and you know, I, I don't know that – I don't know that he he's he's the answer. I I, I actually I, you know I'm I'm going to pick Michigan State to win this game, um, not because I'm sure of what Michigan State is, but I'm more intrigued by some of their parts than I am Northwestern's right now. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the you know that to me that injury to Cam Porter is a big one. I mean you can't you can't pick up a free agent at this point in the year in college football yet. Um, maybe, maybe in a couple of years when, when, you know, they allow roster cutdowns in, in July and you have free agency, uh, I kid about that, but not really. Um, 
<laughs> but but it, that's a tough loss. I mean, I know you've got some some guys back, and they've got some talent at receiver. I mean, there's no question. They brought in uh, the the Robinson kid from Kansas who had a thousand yards the last two years, and they get back JJ Johnson, who's a a, a good talent as well. Uh, but you got to be able to deliver the ball, and it's going to be a test for Michigan State's secondary. I mean, you know, you it, this is going to put into practicum the everything that Mel Tucker and his staff, first of all, recruited to. Um, because they went heavy on defensive backs in, in the transfer portal more than anything. And also how, how good these guys are and how well they can mesh and how well they understand the concepts and, and coverages and, and the pass off responsibilities that, that they need to. And, and their mental uh, fortitude too. I mean, you, you think yeah. about Chris, the great D'Antonio defenses were defenses that they rarely gave up anything big, but when they did, they just moved on quickly. They just didn't care. And they, they, the next play was the next play. And we've also seen defenses of things has fallen apart a little in recent years where one 20 yard chunk became another 20 yard chunk and things started to started to go haywire. And, and, and these are kids who have transferred. I'm not saying they transferred the wrong reasons. I'm not saying you're transferred because you're bailing, but I'm saying everybody transfers for one reason or another. And uh, whatever the program they were at, and some of them just needed a fresh, some of it has nothing to do with your mentality is not to stick in there and, and, and fight, but, Again, for a few of them, who knows? And and so I think there are lots of things we need to learn about this team and, 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 and sort of the makeup of it. Yeah, Chris, you kind of mentioned the, how important the secondary is going to be for Michigan State, Michigan State in this game. And you look at the, the names, and I think it's a pretty intriguing group for, for Michigan State. You know, Ronald Williams come from, from Alabama. You have him listed as a starter. And whether it's Gervin or Kimber on the other side at cornerback, and then, but you look at the three safeties and nickelbacks, and Xavier Henderson, Angelo Gross, and Michael Dow. I, Again, I just think that that's a pretty talented trio right there, and they can have a they can have a big day versus the Wildcats. Yeah, and they're going to need to use those other guys. They're going to use Kimbro and you know Gervin, and they're going to need to use Lowry. And and I'm, I'm missing one of the guys, Crump. Um, you know, whether it be on the defensive side or in special teams, I'm Chuck, really curious to see Chuck Brantley. Chuck Brantley as well. Um, you know, he's got to got to give Chuck a chance. That's that's kind of the that was kind of the phrase the last few weeks. And, you know, we saw him in some some of those drills working with the ones uh, at Meet the Spartans, which I thought was interesting as a, a true freshman. Uh, but they're very high on him uh, at cornerback. But, you know, to me, um, you know, it, in, in front of those guys uh, is going to be interesting because, you know, it's hard to gauge. Uh, I've got Quaveras Crouch and Noah Harvey listed as a starting linebacker, but Harvey was working with the threes. And, you know, I mean, that's, uh, it, it, you know, it, you, is it going to be Ven Van Summeren, the Michigan transfer? Is it going to be maybe they, they go with uh, Cal Halliday, the body? That, that's what Mel Tucker called him. I mean, he's kind of come on. Uh, and, you know, he played he, – he was good enough a player last year that he played a lot on special teams for them as a true freshman. Um, and, and I think a lot of these true freshmen that played last year uh, kind of got lost in the mix with – the, the way the season went and just, you know, how odd it was, you know, guys like like Halliday and, and Jeff Petrosky, the defensive end, I think kind of got shuffled around. And then you got guys. I mean, what's going to happen with Jacob Slade? Is it going to be uh, is he is his hand healthy enough that you got to bring in Mallory and uh, and Jalen Hunt? Um, or is someone like a Simeon Barrow, who everybody has been buzzing about throughout camp, uh, talented enough to t- jump up and, and make plays. I mean, that, but a lot of those positions are positions unlike quarterback where you're going to be rotating guys in based on 
on situations and whatever fatigue factors might might come from a nine o'clock game in Chicago in the middle of Labor Day weekend. I mean, it's it, it's going to be fascinating to see. Like start, also, how many snaps these guys get? Chris, I don't know about you, but I'm as intrigued by this MSU team as any I've ever covered in terms of just um, sort of thinking they'll be interesting, thinking they could be decent, thinking I could have this all wrong, <laughs> and it could be trouble. Like, I don't, you know, it, 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 there have been years where I've been very wrong but should not have been. And this is one of those years where I, if I'm wrong, uh, it, it was just a really hard year to predict. Well, and that's th- that's why I asked Pat Fitzgerald on Monday, um, you know, because the numbers are stark. I mean, when you look at it, it's 21 transfers, it's 20 freshmen, it's 19 other guys that were on the roster last year and didn't play a snap. That's like, I think, 53% of the 117-man roster has yet to play a snap for this team and this program and his coach. That's insane. I mean, you don't see that in college football. You've never seen that. The portal does that. The pandemic does that. The extra, the immediate eligibility does that. And that's why I asked Fitzgerald, I said, is this the future? I mean, how much do you think coaches around the country are watching this, particularly first-year coaches that want to put their blueprint on it? Uh, and he, I think he, he said, essentially paraphrasing him, that coaches are the great plagiarists. And if it works, they're, you better believe that they're going to be people that that buy into it and, and follow it. But if it doesn't, they're going to they're going to shy away from it. And, and you have to identify guys. too. I mean, what's interesting about this is I, I think you're right that a lot of people will try to duplicate it. But the, the duplication, if, if it's successful, is largely in identifying the right transfers um, and getting guys like, you know, Ronald Williams looks like a great get from what we're hearing. And, and obviously it's got to perform on thing. But if you get a guy who was in the mix to be a starter at Alabama corner and comes in and shows maturity and is able to play right away at that position, um, you know, that's a, that, that's a really good find. And, and the question will be with some of these other, you know, I mean, they're not going to hit on every transfer, but if, if, if 50% of these guys wind up being guys who are playing big minutes and really helping you, you, you've, you've, you've done it well. Yeah, when we were going through the front six there, Chris, I I was kind of like, boy, maybe it seems like Northwestern might try to run against this four two five. Uh, I don't know how much tape you've crunched from last uh, last year, if at all. So I, I don't want to put that on you and say you've actually done it. But uh, I mean, do you? Th- do a lot you- of it depends on how how good they are behind Porter. I mean, without yeah. Porter, a guy that was coming back, that you know that that had the bulk of that last year, it, it it's hard to say. You know, I'm sure they're they're comfortable with it, but you know, this you got to run against uh, a front four that's maybe among the top three in the Big Ten. I think, um, you know, and just in guys coming back, I think Jacob Panishu coming off of COVID uh, looks a lot healthier. I think that you know Beasley really showed out last year and is back as a six-year guy. You've got Drew Jordan, who's a fifth-year. I mean, there's there. Are, older veteran guys that that are there on that defensive line and you know hunt and and mallory haven't maybe got the the snaps in the past because of the guys in front of them but they are very very talented that is those guys in the middle are very talented and you add in slade and you know i think they're deep up front it's gonna be tough to run against them unless you feel like you can get into that second level and the linebackers are are given chase and and maybe don't can't get there and it'll be interesting to see how they handle with, you know, 
I go back to the the Ohio State game in 2019, where Michigan State had one weak spot and at corner, and you know that the whole defense broke down because of it. You know, is this defense sound enough, and do these guys trust each other enough? where there's not this sense of doing too much. I think that's where the veterans on the defense line are important. Uh, I agree. I think the talent in the interior line may be better, uh, more higher ceiling, and the depth there is really good, uh, but they're a little younger. Um, and, you know, and, and, and then at the linebacker level, the one the one good thing is I think they're, you know, they went from being dangerously thin at linebacker and corner to having enough guys that if you're them, you, you got to hope that somewhere in there are the right guys, you know, like it, it, that, that, but this is, again, you may not figure it out on week one entirely. And so there may be some missteps that happen. I there's, You know, we, we talk about the, the strengths of d- different sides. You know, I do think Northwestern secondary is good. Uh, so does that make – does this look like – I mean, this could be a lower-scoring game than some of the, the clashes between these two teams. If, if um, you know, Michigan State's defense is able to hold up against the run and Northwestern doesn't give a ton in the passing game in certain ways, and um, you know, the – I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I think it'll be a great a great measuring stick for Michigan State in a lot of ways, and a measuring stick we would not get if they were playing Youngstown State first, and that's why this particular year I'm kind of glad they're playing the way they are. Yeah, And with that point, I think that's a good point, and I think that it also helps them to play Youngstown State second because yep. it gives you a chance. Everybody's all – I mean, it's coach speak, but it's not coach speak without merit that you better you make your biggest improvement between week one and week two when you understand and know what you have and that gives them a chance in week two to iron it out with the guys up top and then give guys more snaps and more reps behind them if all goes as planned yeah i think i might be with you graham on the low scoring affair thing like when it, it, you know we all michigan state fans and you know maybe in reporters to an extent too we all come into a season pretty optimistic every year but then you just remember last year boy Michigan State really struggled to score points offensively uh the offense looked bad times remember the the very few rushing touchdowns last year one rushing touchdown a year ago am I remembering that correctly two rushing touchdowns none by a running yes back. that's what it was so and if they can't if they do that again this year I don't I mean there's no guarantee that the, I mean it feels like it can't be worse but I guess we shouldn't bank on like four rushing touchdowns off on the first game I mean, they did not have a quarterback who could complete third and four last year. And so that makes it hard to sustain drives. I, I do not think that'll be the issue this year because I think if that were the issue, they'd freaking have Noah Kim out there and they'd fix it. You know, like, I mean, I, I think they, they, they're in a little better spot at that position. Um, and I do think the offensive line, if their two tackles stay healthy, you know, this is, I mean, they have, have, to. This they have to. They have to. Because that the, the the ultimate problem in this in, is is they just haven't developed depth at that position. They can talk about nine guys who have made starts and and they've had lots of guys who've been in tough spots and had to shuffle around. But in the, in, in the interior, they might be okay if there's a little bit of injuries because they've got they do have some depth and guys who started. On, on the outside though, they, they have not had enough tackles in the program for a long time. It's been my biggest issue with the, you know, the idea that late in the D'Antonio era that injuries were crippling them and and they were. But also, if you don't recruit enough quality tackles, that doesn't get to be just the, the part of the problem is recruiting, right? It's not. It's not just. And 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 I do think right now they are in a few spots. I mean, this is a team that I think could be a lot better in week one than they are in November, because I think there are a few places where the drop off could be severe. I think at tackle the drop off could be severe. I think at receiver, they have two guys who might be special players, and then other guys who are talented, young guys who are good, and maybe. 
in time, you'll see some of those guys emerge where one of them could fill in and be, be okay as, as, as a number two or whatever. Um, but we even saw with Ohio State, when they lost one of their blazing receivers last year against Northwestern, it looked like a struggle. Like, you, yeah. you lose a guy, all of a sudden the offense looks a whole lot different. I think at running back, there's a depth to be okay. Um, we don't know on defense yet, though, especially in the secondary and linebacker. Um, you know, they're, they're, I mean, I think they've got good safeties. If they were to have an injury there, though, I, I think we, you may you may feel it, you know. And and so um, I, that's the that's the thing about this team is is if they have a really blessed year health wise, you know, they, they they might be okay. If they don't, I, I think it's not one of those teams that's necessarily built to overcome it. I will say that you know when when we talk about the tackle spot, when your your third best tackle is your starting right guard, that's yeah. where things start to get a little wonky not because I, I and i think that there's a little talent drop off which you move kevin jarvis outside but more importantly it's the talent drop off and the cohesion drop off by moving one player over one player in you start making multiple rotations like that rather than having a plug and play guy who can the next tackle up um that that disrupts things too and you saw that in 2019 2018 uh really all 2017 2016 all the years that prior that they had all the injury problems on the offensive line. Yeah. All right. I want you guys to make a couple of predictions off the cuff here. First, how many rushing touchdowns will the Spartans have this year? Chris, I'm going to say 12, which is probably a high number, but I think Kenneth Walker himself had 13 a year ago at Wake Forest. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good number. I'll, I'll go. Um, yeah, I'll go. I'll go over. I, I think. Uh, I mean, I think last year was a real anomaly in a lot of ways, and and I also think if Thorne is the starter, you'll see some stuff with him on bootlegs at the at the goal line and other things like that. Maybe. So I'll, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go over Chris even on this and go thirteen. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think it was the anomaly. I think it's part of a continuing trend. That's, oh, that's whether yeah, or not, was, but was, I think it's a trend that they've addressed. Yeah, and it was it was even among their woes, it was pretty severe last year. Yeah, I was going to also have you guys predict who the first rushing touchdown by a running back would be. Uh, are you guys both going Walker? Or are you going to go off the board here? I'll go Jordan Simmons. I, I you know I think there's a chance of Simmons foot in the ground guy who's good. At, you know what's interesting about Simmons is, and Chris, I'd be interested to see what you think about this. There have been a lot of talk. I mean, I think the first, the top three running backs are pretty clear, right? It, it's Kenneth Walker and Simmons and Elijah Collins in, in, in the mix is the guys that are going to get the most carries and, and, and probably have a plan to use out of the backfield. Every time I think it, I mean, I think Walker is number one. But Simmons, no matter who's been number one, has been like number two. I mean, and he even had that moment where he was number one. Like, I think Simmons is going to play a lot. I think they really like him. And we saw a burst of that a year ago. And I, I think – Regardless of what's happening with the other guys, I think Simmons is going to be in the mix. Um, I, I guess I need a, a caveat here. Does it does it count when Connor Hayward lines up in the H back in the slot, takes the jet sweep to the short side and scores? Does that count as a running oh, back man. scoring a touchdown? A listed running back on the roster. If, if Connor Hayward or Hayward does a short side jet sweep and scores a touchdown, do fans cheer or boo? I, I think it's stunned silence like last yeah, year right, yeah. with nobody in the stands because people, could, one, wouldn't believe that the play worked, yeah. two, wouldn't believe that it was Connor Hayward, right. and three, don't remember what a rushing touchdown's like. Stunned Unless silence. it's Tyler Hunt. Tyler Hunt, all bets off. Yeah, I, I still I still think there's a chance Tyler Hunt starts at quarterback just <laughs> as, a, as a great troll job. 
and hands it off to Connor Hayward on the first play for a short side jet sweep, 75 yard touchdown. Or, or I'll say Kenneth Walker, really. So I know both of you have written uh, separate columns on your with your game by game picks, but just to get it out there on the podcast, where do you think the Spartans will finish this year, Chris? I got them six and six. Um, I, I think that they're they're going to be wildly unpredictable until we actually see them against another opponent. I think six and six is the baseline for the program. I think there's at minimum six win talent at maximum, probably maybe as many as nine. Um, you know, I don't know if they could get to 10 with the schedule they've got in the non-conference with, with Miami in particular on the road. Um, I, I, I don't like the matchup against Rutgers. I think Shiano's done some really good things and I think they've got a lot of talent back. Um, I do like the matchup against Northwestern though, because of a lot of things that we talked about. I think they start four and one. I think that they, and, and cause mercifully for them, they get Nebraska as their second big 10 game. And that's going to be interesting. But I think that back half of the schedule is really, really going to be challenging. Can they beat Michigan? You know, I, that's one of the coin flip games that I got as well. Um, I think the Rutgers game is a coin flip the other, other or the same direction. And they lose that. And I think there's like the Penn State game. I think they lose that. But I think that's a coin flip as well. So I think there's, you know, until I actually see them, that's that's all in pencil at this point. Yeah, and what's weird is, of course, I made my prediction that they would lose to Nebraska before Nebraska played Illinois, which always <laughs> that, that was a fun game to watch. It will, you know, like bad it, football. It will be in the sense that I think Nebraska Nebraska season is going to go one of two ways right now. It's going to Bobby Williams it right where things just really wheels fall off, or and we'll find out a lot about them. They're going to be a team that's you know kind of fights to you know everybody against us fight that keep things alive and have some pride and, and and if that happens and you've got a desperate team that that still together now they're going to have played Oklahoma the previous week so who knows whether mindset will be but I don't think MSU is going to be I think MSU is, is the best thing Chris said there too is the wildly unpredictable like I think MSU is vulnerable against a lot of people and 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 I think true is, is the season goes along and and their depth concerns may take hold that could become more more pronounced I think they're also capable of the, the reason I picked them to beat Indiana is not because I think they're better than Indiana. It's just, I think they're built right now, if healthy to be the type of team that can pull an upset here or there. And, and if there has to be a program that's good that I don't yet trust, cause they've never done it two years in a row. And I don't, I want to see Michael Penix actually be healthy for more than a few games. It's Indiana. So that was a game that seems like a game you could go there. And, and that's an upset that is realistic to expect. I have them seven and five. Um, but and I love the over four and a half from Vegas. I think anybody who thinks they're one of the worst teams in college football hasn't covered the Mac. Uh, and that's just an asinine, lazy piece to write. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, there's way too much talent there for them to be one of the, I mean, first of all, one of the worst teams in football, when you go three and nine, Michigan State went three and nine and they weren't one of the worst teams in football. One of the bottom five. I mean, that's just, they're always worst teams. That team lost 17, 16 to an undefeated Ohio state team was pushing people around at the end of the year. And they were three and nine. Like, it's not going to happen that way. Um, Last year's team by the numbers was, though, that's, if you look at them. I, of course, those numbers are skewed anyways because you don't have the non-conference. You don't have the MAC games on there. You don't have the Youngstown States. So, I mean, when you play all conference games, I mean, that's going to tell you really what you are. And when you look at those numbers on the offensive side in particular in, in the hundreds, some of them in the 120s when there's 128 
129 FBS teams. I mean, there was a lot of ground to make up. And, and the defense wasn't as good as, as you thought either outside of the, the, the game's day one. I mean, you know, they got gashed by the bigger – they got gashed by Iowa, Indiana, Ohio State, Penn State, and Rutgers put up numbers on them. So, I mean, there was a lot of work that they had to do. Now we're going to see how much that work can bridge that gap. And I'm also curious about Miami because Miami's got Alabama to open things up, and then they got App State, and then it's a noon start. And look, Michigan State, Miami's an interesting trip. They're going to go down there, and I don't think it's going to be a lazy start for, a, you know, kind of the lazy or the, the, the sleepy start is the word I'm looking for. Sleepy start and noon kick, which it will be for the crowd. Um, but for Miami, I'm curious how they do on a noon start coming off Alabama and a, what I think could be a competitive game against App State. They're usually overrated. People always think hey, Miami's back. They're never back. And uh, so like, they're coming off. They got a quarterback. I mean, as long as the, as long as Miami's not playing that Bishop Sycamore schedule and playing <laughs> playing Alabama on, on Friday and then playing Michigan State, I think they'll be okay. And Derek King's coming off a torn ACL, and, and he'll he'll have placed Alabama already. Like, is he going to be? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's I'm curious to see that too. Yeah, if you remember when Alabama played Michigan to start the season, you know, it's been five six years ago now. I mean, they just broke Michigan's spirit. And that set the tone for that season. If they do the same thing to Miami in this first game, maybe that sets Miami down a down a dark path. Your point, like I think one of the things that happened two years ago to Michigan State in that Ohio State game was their spirit was broken. That game was earlier in the year than it usually is. So if you have this crescendo and you don't play Ohio State till the ninth, tenth game of the year, even if you're nowhere near as good as them, you don't know it until then. When you when the team that you sort of set your goals against and, and things fall apart and they dismantle you and your spirit is broken. That's why Wisconsin happened right after that when they lost 38 nothing or whatever. I mean, and so it is true. Miami gets just, uh, and I don't know what's going to happen, but if they get throttled by Alabama and all of a sudden all the luster of this great season they were supposed to have is gone, where are they? And, and where, what kind of, you know, how are they built upstairs? That, that we'll find that out. All right. Well, you guys have already kind of tipped your hand on this, but let's just uh, make it official here since we always end with predictions. Um, Graham? Uh, Minnesota or Minnesota, excuse me, Northwestern Michigan State. Who you got Friday night? I'm going to go Michigan State, um, and I, I already predicted this, so I should, I should look up the score I put. Um, but I, I'll say it's going to be like uh, 30. I do think there's some points, like 31, uh, 27, uh, Michigan State. Did you just say like like 20 minutes ago that you thought this might be a low scoring game? Uh, no, let me look at my actual schedule. You're duping. You're duping people. Yeah, I, I wouldn't take the over or the under. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, like I think the value in this as a bet is Michigan State on the money line or getting the points. You can buy the points up to four. You can tease it up to ten and a half, or you can take them on the money line, which is like plus one twenty-five. I think there's value in that. I do not. I I think taking over unders in week one is is absolutely um, absolutely insane. Uh, I've got Michigan State winning twenty to thirteen because I think these two teams both have a lot of bigger concerns with with re revamping and rehabbing their offense than they do on the defensive side. Again, like I said, I mean, there's, there's a good secondary there for Northwestern. It's back. There's a great defensive line for Michigan state. That's back. Um, you know, it, it, if, if you're looking at, at, at the, the strengths versus weaknesses with some of those, you know, you got the quarterbacks one, we don't know who's going to be Michigan state's quarterback, but you got a quarterback who's struggled to throw, going against an inexperienced secondary. So, you know, it gives the defense a little bit of confidence too. So, yeah, I, I think 20 to 13 Michigan State wins. The home crowd helps. I mean, Michigan, I, State's, I Michigan State's home crowd in Evanston is going to help. 
and I go 27-23. That was a, this. I can't. I can't go against the prediction I already published, and nothing else has changed. So I'm going <laughs> you do it on the radio all the time. Don't even give it that. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to make this podcast full homer because I think Michigan State's going to win as well. Uh, but I'm going to say something in the 20 to seven is going to be my final prediction. I, I just think Northwestern's offense is not going to be able to score. I don't think Hunter Johnson is a very good quarterback. He hasn't taken a snap in two years and wasn't good two years ago when he's playing for Northwestern. And if he has a breakout game versus Michigan State, I mean, I think that's going to say something about Michigan State's defense and nothing great, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I'm going 20-7 to Michigan State. All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.